Okay, we're going to go to John chapter 5. I'm going to read back through the passage that we started on last week. We didn't get to finish. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, but we'll actually pick it up in verse 21. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. What was that reason? Because he had healed the man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, told him to take up his bed and walk, and the Pharisees freak out. So they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Even though you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, God never takes a day off, okay? Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Wow. I keep telling you, the modern-day Pharisees are in Washington, D.C. In 2,000 years, nothing's changed. If you want to do good things, what do they want to do? They want to kill you. Okay? Up. I, I slipped already! <laughs> Would it take me three minutes? Oh, boy. Okay, well, I tried. <laughs> Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word today. We pray that you give us insight, understanding, wisdom. We thank you for the riches that we can find as we delve into your word, Lord. It is indeed a treasure. We thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, sweeter than honey. Please bless this time of study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick it up in verse 21. The first section, as, you, as we talked about last week, and as you probably noticed, Jesus is really laying out the fact that he and the Father are one. And that, uh, therefore, and they, were, they wanted to kill him for that reason, because he did identify himself as being equal with God. But it tells us in verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, unlike the the Sadducees, the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the dead. As I've said before, theologically, Jesus and the Pharisees were very close. The difference was they were steeped in religiosity and legalism. As it says in in, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that was the difference. They both believed in the same God, and Jesus is God. But for the Pharisees, it was all about rules and regulations. And because Jesus had supposedly broken their rule regarding the Sabbath, and because he claimed to be the Son of God, they wanted to kill him for it. Uh, 
Even so, the Son gives life to whom He will. Just like the Father, being co-equal with the Father, Jesus also has the capacity to raise the dead and give eternal life to those who acknowledge Him. When it says the Son gives life to whom He will, that doesn't mean... The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. He does not show favoritism. He doesn't say, well, I like this person better than that person, so I'm going to give them eternal life and I'm not going to give you eternal life. That's not what it means. When it says the Son gives life to whom He will, He will give it to anyone who asks for it. That's the good news. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Again, Jesus is showing His equality with God the Father to the extent that God has even entrusted to Him judgment. Now in John chapter 3 it says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. That comes right after John 3.16. So Jesus didn't come in judgment the first time. He came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when He comes back, all judgment has been entrusted to Him by the Father. So one of the responsibilities the Father has entrusted to the Son is that of judgment. As we saw in verse 20, that the Father was going to show greater works to Jesus and through Jesus. This would surely be one of those greater works that Jesus refers to in verse 20, that of all judgment being entrusted to him, Acts 17, 30 through 31. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Now, I don't know about your Bible, but in mine, the word man has a big M because the man is Jesus. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. God the Father has ordained his son, Jesus Christ, to judge the world in righteousness. Righteousness is doing that which is right. We've talked about that before. Again, at the end of the day, we're not saved by our own good works. But as a result of our salvation, we are called to do good works in Christ. We don't always succeed, but that's the goal. And he's going to judge the world by that measure. The only way to escape that judgment, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there's none righteous, no, not one, is we must be clothed with his righteousness. How does that happen when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then you are clothed in his righteousness, therefore you are no longer subject to this judgment that we're talking about here. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And again, the difference being, we read several times in the Old Testament of people being raised from the dead. We read in the Gospels where Jesus raised certain people from the dead. The only difference is those people went ahead and died again. Jesus lives forever. His resurrection was permanent and everlasting. And therefore, we have that promise that one day we too will receive a permanent, everlasting resurrection, never to die again. And we're told here in Acts that the proof, the evidence of Jesus' ordination to be the judge of the world 
is his resurrection from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And again, for the believer, it's not about judgment for sin. That was taken care of on the cross. For the believer, we will stand before him the Bema seat, which is actually different than the judgment seat for non-believers, the Bema seat, the mercy seat, where Jesus will give out rewards for faithfulness in this life. So understand that. Don't misunderstand this to think that you and I must undergo judgment for our sins like the non-believers. That's not the case. Back to John chapter 5, verse 23, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Since Jesus is the one to whom the Father has entrusted judgment, he is to be honored by those who would seek to honor his Father. It is Jesus who holds the keys to life and death. That is why, my friends, more than any other so-called great religious or spiritual leader, the name of Jesus is mocked, cursed. You don't hear that about others. In fact, in some places, if you mock one of the others, you could wind up in jail. Remember the big hoopla in Europe over the mocking of Muhammad. People winding up in jail or worse. But it's okay to mock the name of Jesus. Why is that? Because it's the only name given under heaven by which man must be saved. And so the enemy goes out of his way to make sure that the name of Jesus is vilified, spat upon, looked down. In fact, I mean, it's really sad. Just about every movie or TV show you watch, at some point somebody's going to use the name of Jesus, and it's not that they're praising him either. Right? How come none of these Hollywood actors ever go, Oh, Buddha! <laughs> Mohammed anyway! Doggone it! No, it's always Jesus. Why? Because that's the only name that has any power. And you could, you know, you could make it, Oh, well, it's not really Jesus, it's Yeshua. Have you ever heard that old expression, A rose by any other name would smell as sweet? I don't care if you call him Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, you name it. It's the only name with power. Okay? And I'm pretty sure that God honors his name no matter what language you speak it in. In fact, I'm totally sure of that. Revelation 1.18. This is Jesus talking. You know, often people refer to Revelation as, you know, John the Revelator. John was just the recipient of the message. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Sounds to me like that's the guy you want to make your best friend. Then he goes on. He who does not honor the Son uh, does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, we all know there's many people in the world who would claim to honor God in one way or another, 
and not always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation, because there's this fallacy that's been spread all over the world for the past half a century or more that Allah and God are one and the same, and that's absolutely not true. Allah is the moon god and the sword god. The Arabians were polytheistic, which means they worshipped many gods, and they became jealous of Christianity and Judaism because we both worshipped the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, we were and are monotheistic. And so they decided in order to compete with Christianity and Judaism, they had to be monotheistic. And so they, I'm saying this figuratively speaking, threw all their God's names into a hat and pulled one out. And it was Allah, the moon God and the sword God. And so there are many people who claim to honor God in one way or another, but many, if not most, of those people do not honor Yeshua HaMashiach as the one and only Son of the living God. And to dishonor Jesus is to dishonor the one true God of creation. The old expression, you can't have one without the other. And that's what Jesus is telling them. We all know the verse. In fact, I'll use it twice today. John 14, 6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, people take issue with that. That's dogmatic. That's narrow-minded. That's not fair. There's only one way to the Father. You know what I say? Praise God that there is a way. God didn't have to make a way. He wasn't obligated to make a way. So instead of arguing about how unfair it is that there's only one way, how about just following the way? It's because of our prideful, stubborn human nature, our rebellious human nature, just like Adam and Eve, God only gave them one tree they couldn't eat from, and guess which tree they ate from? That's the sin nature in full bloom right there. All right. So Jesus says, He who does not honor the Son, me, does not honor the Father who sent him. So how do we honor the Son? Matthew 15, 7. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. We honor Jesus not just with our words. Like I said, many people will lay claim to some sort of faith in God, believe in God, identify as a believer. But Jesus says, if you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me, then you're a fake, you're a phony, you're a hypocrite. We honor him not just with our words, but by giving him our hearts, our lives. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, which means literally means master. Do you realize that every time you talk to God and you call him Lord? You're acknowledging him as your master, which means that you do his bidding. Did you realize that? 
So if you call him Lord, but you don't do his bidding, he's not really your Lord. Okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's where I want to go. How about you? That's where I plan on going. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm worthy, but because Jesus paid my price of admission. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, we don't, we aren't saved by our own good works, but our obedience to God is the evidence that we've truly been born again. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Again, Jesus says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We honor him by obeying him. And Jesus said, if your life is not evidenced by obedience to me, to my Father, then you don't belong to me. Again, are we going to be perfect in this life? No, we know that. God knows that. That's why Jesus came in the first place. But our goal is to be like him. And it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of lifestyle. We choose to follow Christ. Sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we fall. He's always there to help us up, to pick us up, to get us back on the right path. Or we choose to walk our own path. And we can, we can talk all day long about God, but if we're walking our, our own path and not his path, then we are fake we are phony, we are liars, and we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's the truth, okay? You may not hear that everywhere. You might hear, I'm okay, you're okay. We're grading on a curve here. So as long as you're not a serial killer, you get to go to heaven. I hate to tell you this, but there will be serial killers in heaven. Because anyone who confesses their sin and repents before God will be saved. And there will be people that, done no, that did nothing worse than petty thievery, lying, whatever, who won't be there because it's not based on your performance. It's based upon Jesus' performance on the cross. Amen. We honor him, Jesus, by obeying him just as he obeys the Father. John 5, 24 through 27. Most of this is where we'll get, well, we are getting here today. I'm moving on to this next section now. Let me read this section, verses 24 through 27. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. We see here in verse 24, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, this is an absolute fact. Take it to the bank. Jesus wants his listeners 
to know that this is the absolute truth. He who hears my word. And so even as we talked about what does it look like to honor him, No, that's this one. The other one's deader than a doornail, as they say. That's an old expression. I guess a doornail would be like a knocker, I guess. I'm not entirely sure what that is. Okay. I kind of lost my spot now. Most assuredly, I say to you, absolute, oh, he who hears my word. So what's the evidence that someone has truly heard the words of Christ? Luke 6, 46 through 49. Do I have to take this off? No, just stay there. Okay. Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, or as one translation says, puts them into practice, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. Jesus is the rock. And when there was a flood, the river burst against that house, and yet it could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly does not put them into practice. It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation and the river burst against it and it immediately collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me but we see here that to hear it means that you're to act on it, to put it into practice. The evidence that you've truly heard his word, I mean, you can read it without really having any impact in your life. You can hear someone speak it. You can listen to a preacher on the TV or the radio or, what, or even hear in person this morning. But unless you act upon it, it has no impact in your life. And it means you haven't really heard him. Because if you've really heard him, then the proper response would be to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, to invite him into your life. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. If you've really heard him, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you've really heard him, then the only logical, rational, reasonable, proper response would be to open the door of your life to him and to allow him to come and live inside of you and to be your master. That's, that's the only logical response. So if you haven't done that, then you haven't heard him.
He who hears my word believes in him who sent me. He's referring to God the Father. If you don't believe that God sent Jesus into this world to save the world, you don't believe in the real God. Hello? Believes in him who sent me. And what's the result of that? That person has everlasting life. Jesus started this statement with most assuredly. And this is the good news. This is the gospel of Christ. Eternal life, listen to this, is a guaranteed promise to all who hear his word. Meaning, put it into practice. All those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a guaranteed promise. It's a, it's a heartbreaking thing when I run across believers who are uncertain and unsure about their salvation because it is absolutely guaranteed. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. Years ago, I, I met with a young lady who was identified as a believer, but she was struggling. She was very uncertain, very unsure. Now, in her case, I'm not sure if, if it was so much about salvation, but her, her issue, her problem was that she said when she read the Bible, she got nothing out of it. She did not understand it. And so I said, well... You know, God has promised that he would give us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to lead us and guide us into all truth. So if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you should be able to read the Bible and understand it. You might not be a great theologian, but God has given us his word in such a way that anyone can read it and understand it and receive from it, be fed by it. It is our spiritual food. And so I said, maybe we just need to go back to square one and you need to start from the beginning and you know, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Start at point A. And she agreed with that. And so we prayed together and she behaved as though she was doing it for the first time as a new believer. And after that, she could read the Bible and understand it. So in some cases, I would propose that maybe that's the necessary course of action if someone identifies as a believer, but there's no f evidence in their life, there's no fruit of the Spirit in their life, they're not walking in obedience to God, or they're, they're, they're confused, they're baffled, they, don't, they read the Bible, they, they don't understand it, they get nothing out of it. And I guess sometimes people get kind of beat up over that. What's the matter with you? Are you stupid? Just go back to square one. There's nothing wrong with that. Start at point A and say, well, maybe there's nothing wrong with a person. You know, in fact, the Bible encourages a self-examination and allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's nothing wrong, nor should you be ashamed or embarrassed to say, Maybe I need to go back and re-examine my relationship with God and make sure I'm really a believer. Because I'm telling you right now, the churches of America and other parts of the world 
are filled with people who think they're believers and they're not. And that's really scary. That's really scary. That they think they're good to go and they're not. There's nothing wrong with backing up the bus and saying, well, I need to reevaluate things here because if I'm honest with myself, I don't look like what I claim to be. But I want to be that which I claim to be. So let's just start from the beginning. Nothing wrong with that at all. Guess what else the good news is? Not only do you have everlasting life in Christ, you shall not come into judgment. In fact, we've talked about this before too. As a believer, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. And it's a good thing that he does. Because sin is destructive. Even for the believer, it may not kill you spiritually, but it can definitely kill you mentally, emotionally, and physically. So thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But guess what the Holy Spirit doesn't do? He doesn't judge you. He doesn't condemn you. So when you're feeling condemned, guess where that came from? The devil. Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. No judgment for us in the afterlife for our sins in this life. Because Jesus was judged on the cross in our place. If we hear his words and we put them into practice, if we hear, if we receive, if we believe, there is no judgment of sin for us in the afterlife. And therefore the enemy will try all the harder to beat you up here and now. To try to bring you under condemnation. To keep telling you how horrible you are, how rotten you are, how much you don't deserve the love of God. You know what you say to him? You're absolutely right, devil. I don't deserve it. But that's why God's love is so amazing. I don't deserve it. Amazing love. How can it be that he would save a wretch like me? You shall not come unto judgment, but you has passed from death into life. Folks, here's some more good news. There's lots of it here today. Our eternal life in Christ has already begun. It's already started. Your body isn't there yet, but your spirit and your soul are. All that awaits us now is to receive our eternal bodies to go along with our eternal life. We need to think like that more often. We tend to think in the here and now, the temporary, but you and I... As believers, if you're a true born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have eternal life. Verse 25. Here's another. Most assuredly, Jesus wants to make sure there's no confusion, no misunderstanding, no mistakes here, as he's talking to the Pharisees and to us. Most assuredly, I say to you, this is another one of those take-it-to-the-bank guarantees the hour is coming and now is there's a reason why in spite of all the negativity and the animosity towards jesus christ and his followers that his appearing into this world changed everything forever now until recently our calendar was based upon bc 
before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Recently, they've tried to change all that. They have, now they have the C.E. Common Era and the B.C.E. Before the Common Era. Yeah, and that's about as credible as, uh, you know, I'm a monkey's uncle. But there's a reason why this entire world was turned right side up when Jesus came. The hour is coming and now is, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, you mean good guys can go to prison? Absolutely. In fact, in this day and age, the better you are, the better the chance is that's where you'll wind up. Does that discourage you from wanting to be good? I hope not. Because you'll be in good company. You know, it's kind of hard for us American Christians because we've never really endured any real severe, serious persecution. It's ramping up, to be sure. But for, from the beginning of history, God's people have always been persecuted, going all the way back to Cain and Abel. So the best thing we can do is make sure we stay really close to God. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The hour is coming and now is. Remember what we learned in chapter 4 when Jesus met with the woman at the well. He tells her, woman, verse 21 of John 4, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And so the Samaritans practiced a polluted and diluted form of Judaism. And even Paul in the book of Romans talks about that. Even though the Jews have been set aside for a time, and now we see that they've been restored into their homeland, that's phase one. The final phase is where they really turn to Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But salvation is of the Jews. And so unlike those who are telling us we should no longer study the Old Testament, like Andy Stanley and others, the Old Testament is the foundation of our faith. That's why it's called the Judeo-Christian faith. Jesus tells her, we know what we worship. You guys worship in ignorance. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, makes no difference. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not in a certain geographical location, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. So this is Maybe it's sometimes overlooked, I don't know, but this is a, an important part of Jesus' message, an important part of his first appearing here on planet Earth. The hour is coming and now is. This was the pivotal turning point for the human race in all of history. It all pivots on the first coming of Jesus Christ to bring us out of death into life, out of darkness into light. John 4, 21 through 23. Jesus said to her, we read that. Okay, moving on. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, he says, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And there really are two meanings here. First of all, the spiritual, the spiritually dead. Those who hear the voice of Christ, not audibly, but in their hearts, in their minds, the spiritually dead, he who hears my word, and then also the physically dead. Remember, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus raised people from the dead while he was here on earth. The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. The spiritually dead and then ultimately the physically dead. And those who hear will live. Those who hear his word with their hearts and minds, putting it into practice, have already obtained eternal life, like I already said. John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And therefore, so what is most of the world focused on today? The flesh, right? You know, uh, body modifications, gender alterations, health clubs on every corner, you know. The flesh profits nothing. Yeah, we're, we live here in the flesh. We, I'm not saying, okay, so just abuse your body, do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, this flesh will not survive I don't care how buff you are. And I guess it's good news for a big part of the populace, but we now have a new movement. It's called fat shaming. You're not allowed to call people fat. I call myself fat. I go around the house saying, Daddy is a fatty. I said that in front of my kids and my son rebuked me. Don't say that. We don't talk like that in front of our kids. <laughs> I didn't mean he, he was a fatty. I'm the daddy fatty, okay? But at the end of the day, oh boy, have you seen some of these horrendous uh, plastic surgery goof-ups? Oh, my. Oh, my. I guess sometimes it works out pretty well. Jane Fonda's hanging in there, I guess. <laughs> but for a lot of people, it doesn't work out so well. But at the, I guess at the end of the day, it just, it's a matter of how good will I look in my coffin. And by then, it doesn't really matter, does it? It is the Spirit, big S, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, who gives life, the flesh, Prophets, nothing. The words Jesus says that I speak to you are spirit. I tell you this, guys, all the time. People always want to bring God down to our level. Take the spiritual meaning out and give it a temporal, earthly meaning. No, no, no. Jesus says the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. That's where life is, folks. It's in the spirit. Right? I tell you over and over again, these physical bodies are just a vehicle like your car. Whoever you are inside, you're driving this vehicle. And you're either driving it on the highway to heaven or you're driving it off a cliff. 
Hello? One day, all of those who have obtained eternal life will receive a new, immortal, imperishable, incorruptible physical body in which their eternal soul and spirit may dwell. See, you're going to get a new vehicle with not just a five-year warranty, a six-year warranty, a ten-year warranty, an eternal warranty. Unlimited mileage. Fueled by the power and the presence of the living God. No more four, five dollars, six dollar a gallon gasoline. Free energy from the throne of the Father. First Corinthians fifteen fifty through fifty one, Paul writes Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, if God loves us and we're created in his image and yada, 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 then why do we have to die? Here it is. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. How many would admit you live in a corrupted body? Even if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. In fact, lately... I've been reading about more and more of these social media influencer, bodybuilder types dropping dead at a relatively young age. Oh, no, it probably does have nothing to do with the vaccine. Of course not. No, no, the globalists aren't trying to kill the whole world, no. Uh Uh-oh, there goes my bad boy again. I try to beat him down. It's not easy, let me tell you. Paul said, I beat my body into submission. I know what he means now. Okay. Behold, I tell you a mystery, which again is no longer a mystery because God has made it known to us through his word. And that, as we read through the New Testament... Paul and others talk about that fact that things were mysteries to people under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, now have been made known to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I've told you before, anytime you uh, come up against a so-called religious group who claims that they have secret hidden mysteries that nobody else knows, and if you want to know what they are, you have to join their group, I encourage you to put on your jogging shoes and head in the other direction. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And when Paul says sleep, what does he mean? Death, physical death. Just physical death. We shall not all die physically because Paul knew that at some point in human history, he thought it might be in his own lifetime, and that's okay. Paul wasn't stupid because God wants every generation of believers to believe that Christ could come at any moment. Why? Because he could, and he will. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all taste physical death, but we shall all, every believer, every true believer, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, beam me up, Father. You ever see the Star Trek transporter? That's how I picture the rapture. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead, in Christ, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed so that we have bodies fit for heaven. Because God dwells in unapproachable light, He's a fiery God, and if you were to go up to heaven before the throne of God in this body, you'd be incinerated. So you need a new one, fireproof. Because not only is there fire in hell, there's fire in heaven. That's the good fire. We shall all be changed, for this corruption, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's why these bodies have to die. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be bought, brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then we go over to First Thessalonians 4, beginning of verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. There it is again. Those believers who had died there in the first century in the Thessalonian church, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's become of them, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. There's a different kind of sorrow for believers. If you've ever been to a memorial service or a funeral for a believer, you'll notice there's an absence of intense, torturous grieving. There could be some weeping, but a lot of times there are tears of joy because you know that person is now with God in heaven. If you go to a funeral for a non-believer with a bunch of non-believers in attendance, it can be absolutely horrifying. There's inconsolable grieving, mourning, weeping, gnashing of teeth, if you will. Paul says, I don't want you guys to be ignorant about these things so that you don't grieve or sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of you believe that here today? Amen. Guess what? Even if you don't believe it, it's still true. Okay? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So the enemy would have us, even as believers, he would like for us to be afraid of death because he can't steal our salvation. So he'd like to make us as miserable as possible while we're here on earth. Really, there's no reason to be afraid of death. And I think for many of us, it's not so much a fear of death as the, how do we get there, <laughs> right? That's the hard part. God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In Jesus, the only ones. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, which could very well be those of us in this room today, until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We're told it's in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, but perhaps it takes a few more milliseconds to resurrect the dead. Nonetheless, that's what I like to tell people, you know, you're first in line. 
the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. The good news, the gospel of Christ. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. How many of you have heard the voice of Jesus here today? I'm not talking about audibly, but in your heart, in your mind. Because nobody can come to the Father and the Son unless the Spirit draws them. If you're a believer here today, it's because God drew you to himself. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So it's kind of funny sometimes when we say, I found God or someone found God. God was never lost. <laughs> you and I were lost. He found you. But it's kind of like the old uh, adage, the guy chased the girl until she caught him. God chases us until we think we caught him. But really, it's the other way around. Verse 26, as For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The Father has life in himself. All the way back to the book of Genesis 2-7. The Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Father has life in himself. Again, John 14-6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And here's a sad thing about it. For all those who ignore God, reject God, deny God, all life emanates from God the Father and from His Son, Jesus Christ. If you don't know them, if you don't have them, all you have is existence. You don't have life. Biological function does not equate with life. All life emanates from God. Yes, God gave you that biological function. And maybe it's because I've had lifelong respiratory problems, but every day I thank God for the breath in my lungs. Every breath I take comes from Him. If you don't know Him, if you don't have Him, then you're just existing. You're not living. John 14, 19, Jesus says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more because I'm going back to be with the Father, to sit at the right hand of the Father. But you will see me, disciples, because I live, you will live also. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very heart and the very core of the gospel. Because if Jesus isn't alive, guess what? You and I have no hope. It's all rooted and grounded in his resurrection. And that's why, again, there will, there will be people. Now, there's some deny Jesus ever existed. That's just stupid. Okay? There's ample historical evidence that Jesus really did and does exist and really came into this world 2,000 years ago. But then there are others who will say, well, I don't really believe he's the son of God. I think he was a good man, a good teacher, you know, good role model and so forth. 
don't really believe he rose from the dead. Well, if you don't, then you can't be saved. You can only be saved if you acknowledge him as the one and only son of the living God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Okay? Because I live, Jesus says, you will live also. Verse 27 our last verse today, we're almost there. I think we're going to make it. Hallelujah. And has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So listen to this. This is how it works. This is very cool. The one who was judged in our place, Jesus, that's what happened on the cross, folks. That's why there was a, a, an eclipse, a solar eclipse. Everything turned dark. That's why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because our sins were placed on him. The one who was judged in our place will at his second coming execute judgment on all human beings who rejected his offer of eternal life. Jude 1.14 Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, who was raptured. Yes, he was caught up. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Was not what? Not here. He went up. Enoch prophesied about these men, these false teachers, these deceivers, these Christ deniers and so forth. That's what he's talking about in his book. Only one chapter prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Which means, you know, an uncalculable number. It's just a metaphor. Ten thousands of his saints. That would be us. We would be in that group to come with him. To execute judgment on all Again, we talked about the Bema Seat, the judgment for believers, which has to do with rewards, not punishment. To convict all... Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. Three times he uses that word. So, at the end of the day, I talked about the fact the Holy Spirit will not condemn you but he will convict you if you receive that conviction i talk about god imparting to us the gift of faith the gift of repentance if you are convicted of your sin then you will repent i've also talked about the fact that every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess even those who deny him in this life well at the end of the day you're going to have to bow before him anyway so you should do it now when it counts. Because then it won't count. It'll be too late. Same thing here. He's going to convict all. So if you don't embrace that conviction of God's Holy Spirit here and now, if you resist Him, you reject Him. No, no, I'm not interested. I want to live my own life. I'm not a bad person. Yes, you are. <laughs> Greg Laurie has an article on World Net Daily about that. People who think they're good. <laughs> you ought to read it, it's good. You're still going to get convicted anyway. 
And if you die and leave this world without repenting, without receiving Christ, you're still going to get convicted. So why not do it now? Allow that conviction of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Let go of your pride. Humble yourself. Allow yourself to be broken before God that He might heal you and fix you, strengthen you, repair you, save you. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they've committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners, and I've been talking about this today, have spoken against him. The Father has given Jesus authority to execute judgment and it will happen. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. What does this mean? As the God-man, that's one of Jesus' many titles, the Son of Man, we find it first in the Old Testament. But as the God-man who walked among us, lived as we live, and lived a perfect sinless life, it is appointed to him to judge the human race. Makes absolute sense. The perfect sinless Son of God, the God-man, fully God, fully man, has been appointed by the Father to judge the human race. Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. There's no reincarnation, Shirley MacLaine, and all the rest, all the other New Agers and so forth. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chance. Well, that's not fair, no second chance. But if God gave you a second chance, what would you say? I want a third chance. No matter how many chances, it would never be enough. So how about just grab a hold of the one chance you have? So Christ was offered. So here it is. Appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, because that's already been dealt with, for salvation, for the completion and fulfillment of our salvation, our full redemption. Like I said, you already have eternal life if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, but we haven't received our new Mercedes yet, or Cadillac, or whatever your vehicle of choice. I was, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about a lady many years ago, back in the 70s, a girl born in New Jersey of Norwegian parents who became a very popular Christian singer. Her name was Evie. She's still alive. She's still around. But I remembered one of her songs. It came to my mind, so I wanted to just read the words to the chorus as we close. Anybody here want to live forever? Say, I do. Anybody here want to walk on golden streets? Say, I do. Anybody here sick and tired of living like you do? Anybody here want a home with love forever? Say, I do. Let's stand. <clears throat> As we go to the Lord in prayer, I'm going to do it a little different today. First, I want to ask everyone, bow your heads, close your eyes. Just concentrate on the Lord 
and on yourself. We talked today about self-examination. Where do I really stand with God? Am I really a believer? Am I really born again? Or am I just playing a game? Am I just religious? If there's anybody here today, and that's why I want every head bowed, every eye closed, that as we've had this message this morning, perhaps you have come to the realization that you might not have a true relationship with God, but you would like to, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. I see a couple over there, another one there. Oh, actually, several around the room. Praise God. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Let's make a fresh start this morning. Anybody else before we pray? Did I miss anyone? Okay. For those of you who raised your hand, please pray along with me. You don't have to pray out loud. If you want to, you can. Heavenly Father, I come to you now with a sincere desire to know you, to have relationship with you, to be a true child of God. Father, I thought I was. But I realize now perhaps I'm not yet one of your children, but I want to be. I do acknowledge, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. So I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to forgive me of my sins, to wash me and cleanse me with the precious blood of Christ. And I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might be able to read your word and understand it, and that I might have the strength to obey it, to take up my cross and follow Jesus daily. Father, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And because of your promises, I truly believe that I am now a true child of God. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. You might talk to a friend, someone else here today that you know as a believer, Pastor Ed, one of the others, one of our elders, James Chavez. Go up and let them know that you made that commitment today. It's good to make a public acknowledgement of that. But now for other prayer requests. Raise your hand if you have another prayer request. Okay, we've got a bunch of those again today. Father, we lift up these requests to you. Try to change it up a little bit. First, we'll start with, Lord, with those who are having economic issues. That wouldn't be at all surprising in this day and age. We, our economy seems to be in big trouble. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and how you do provide for us. But Lord, I pray for those this morning that have a particular issue in that area, something that's troubling them, bothering them, something that they've been unable to deal with up to this point. Lord, whether it's a past due bill of some kind, a tax bill, a car payment, a house payment, Lord, or even just putting food on the table. Father, you did promise to provide for us, but Lord, sometimes we make mistakes that put us in a difficult position. We ask you for forgiveness for those. 
and pray that you would continue to provide for us according to your riches and glory and asking for your forgiveness where we have fallen short. And Lord, we pray for wisdom and guidance going forward on how to best manage our resources. For those who need a job, please provide them with a job that would be adequate to support them and their family, if they have a family. Lord, you have so many ways of providing. Please help us to continue to trust in you, hope in you, put our faith in you. And Lord, help us to be quick to give you the glory, the praise, and the honor when those provisions do come through. And we ask you to help us at a body of believers to support one another whenever and however we can, Lord. But we do lift those issues up to you. We pray for peace. Lord, please pour out that peace that passes all understanding on those this morning with financial struggles. Lord, I also pray for those who are having relationship issues. Father, we know it's hard for us as human beings because we're all basically selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. Lord, especially when we're not walking in the Spirit. But we pray for healing in relationships. Help us to be, as your children, those who would be first to reach out with reconciliation, forgiveness, understanding, compromise. Lord, help us to uh, repair those relationships. But at the end of the day, we know we need the power of your Holy Spirit to repair that which the enemy may have damaged or destroyed. For marriages, for friendships, work relationships, whatever arena of life it might be, we ask for your help in healing and restoring broken relationships, Father. We also pray for those with mental and emotional issues. You have created us as we are, body, soul, and spirit. We have a mind, a will, emotions, that soulish realm of who we are. And Lord, there are many reasons why it can become damaged uh, from external reasons as well as internal ones. We pray, God, for healing. You said you came, Lord Jesus, to heal the brokenhearted. And Lord, there perhaps are some here this morning that are brokenhearted. And uh, it's manifesting itself in anxiety and depression in different ways. God, we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon them and bring healing to them in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, help us to be quick to turn to you. Lord, we know the resources of this world are limited and they don't always work and sometimes they create worse problems. Lord, our hope and our prayer and our desire is that you would bring healing to us in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, for those near and dear to us who may be struggling with these things, anxiety, depression, and so forth, Lord, please pour out your healing on these folks. And also, finally, for the physical health issues, Lord, uh, there are many of those going around. We're thankful for the medical help we can get, the doctors, the nurses, the practitioners, the medications, but at the end of the day, those are imperfect solutions, whereas you are the perfect solution. So we pray for healing, Lord, that you'd pour out your healing upon your people, and again, that we'd be quick to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We thank you, God, for being who you are, for making yourself known to us, and for imparting to us the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.